like a ghost. Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. Gang, we've just been handed our next mystery. Blasted meddling kids. <laughs> this week, I chatted with Christian Campbell, who voiced Bram the leader of the vampire performance troupe in the 2012 musical film Scooby-Doo, Music of the Vampire. I love this film, and I had a lot of fun chatting with Christian about his work on it. This interview is also a lot more lighthearted and goofy compared to other ones that have been on the podcast, so that was a fun change of pace too. I really hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Christian, how are you? Great, thanks. Good to be here. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely, absolutely. My pleasure. Now, if you're up for it, I'd like to start off with a quick three-question trivia game. Okay, I have a feeling I'm going to fail this miserably, but okay, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, So question one, true or false, Music of the Vampire is the only vampire-related Scooby-Doo movie. Movie. Yes like vampire related movie uh that is false that is correct it is false yes okay good i'm feeling good question two uh what is the name of the vampire performance troupe that bram is a part of uh my goodness gracious i have no idea that is amazing wow well this is 2012 okay and i'm an old man so you know those two things mean i can't remember anything (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, Fang and Shans. Fang and Shans. Well, that's pretty funny. I should have remembered that. Okay. And the last question, uh, how does Lord Valdronia come to life in Music of the Vampire? So how does the main villain come to life? Uh, I, I don't know. Lightning Strike? No. Um, the, <laughs> the performance <laughs> troupe does a performance of the Resurrection Spell. Oh, I, I totally, that was my second answer. Totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so to start off the general questions, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? Uh, I did. And I guess that would be, for me, I was I was born in 72. So whatever was on uh, with Scooby-Doo that I could remember by whatever, age four or five is when we start remembering things, maybe a little earlier, then I guess I was watching some of the original Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And do you have a favorite personal Scooby-Doo related memory? Uh, no, just that it always had to do with, well, yeah, I guess I do. It always had to do with coming home after school, um, getting there before my dad. My dad was a teacher and he was a, you know, a single uh, parent. So he was a teacher and I would just get home by myself because, you know, we were called the latchkey generation. Our parents were never there. Um, and so I just let myself in the door. And this was, I think, in the second or third grade. And I'd get home and Scooby-Doo is what I would watch at the, you know, while I was doing my homework when I got home. And I was also clearing out 
any cookies, crackers, and treats I could find before my dad got home. <laughs> so fond memories. And how did you first get into acting in general? Uh, it was a family affair. Uh, my whole family have been associated with theater at some point in their lives, if not all their lives. Um, my my grandparents, like my, my sister and I are both actors, Canadian actors. And then um, my uh, our grandparents back in Holland were actors. And our parents both were uh, went to University of Windsor for the acting program. That's actually where they met, fell in love, and got married. And uh, then I got involved into acting just because my dad was a drama teacher. And I was thrown on to the stage pretty early. Whenever he needed kid parts being filled out in any of his high school productions, that's where Nev and I would come in. So we were, we were doing high school productions by the time we were like seven years old. And was there ever a moment when you realized that you wanted to follow in those footsteps or were you just pushed into that? I, I did. It was, of course, there, I, I enjoyed it when it was great. I was, I'm, I was shy, so it was a real struggle for me to uh, want to do this when at the same time I don't really like or didn't like the, the, the spotlight. And so that was my struggle for, for a while. I actually, my, I was tracking towards sort of military science engineering is what I was doing. I was in the Naval cadets and was kind of tracking for that. Wanted to go to, um, you know, uh, Royal Canadian military college and, um, yeah, but then acting just cause was the thing that came easily. And I started at a, you know, 14, 15, starting to make money doing it. Yeah. And when did you get into voice acting specifically? Voice acting is actually how I got started. I was doing radio plays for CBC. I did a couple of them um, and just small parts, but they got me into the realm of sitting in a, a room seated in front of a microphone with headphones on and sometimes a cast, sometimes no cast and, and needing to learn how to act and, and create a world without actually any world being there, just creating a world with your voice. And how did it come up for your opportunity to work on Scooby-Doo Music of the Vampire? That was a straight up audition. I, my agency, I'm with Vox um, back in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I think, you know, I had done a, I've done a couple of musicals, and so I think they knew I could sing. Um, I did a musical called Reefer Madness, which was then turned into a movie in 2005. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, a couple of other musicals I did, uh, like a national tour of Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, and so I auditioned for it, and like I have a feeling they knew a bit of my work as well. And what were your first thoughts when you read the script? Good fun. And I mean, this is the Scooby-Doo world I, I enjoyed when I was a kid, except now there's music and uh, people are being fabulous. Um, and that was, it was good. It was good, solid fun. And now I found, you know, I've got, I've got nephews, I've got nieces, and they, they love the fact that uh, I, they hear my voices in various cartoons. And why did you want to take part in a Scooby-Doo musical specifically? Uh, I, is that a trick question? It's a Scooby-Doo musical. I think it's self-evident. Uh, that's why you want to take part in it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and what did you want to bring to the character of Brown? I, I was just bringing, uh, my cheeky self, I guess. I mean, that's what we do when, 
we're acting, you know, as a default, it's best just to sort of bring whatever you can of yourself, the most you can, um, to the table. Uh, so if that means I'm an evil vampire, then that's, I guess that's who I am, and I'm okay with that. And did you have to do anything specific to develop the voice for that character? Nah, nah. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, we just got in the room, um, the actors, we were, there were, uh, not the, not necessarily the leads, they came in later, but, uh, there were about six of us in the room and we all got to work together just throughout the day. Um, and so for preparation, it was just come knowing the music so that you can sing it through and be clear with it and, and uh, be comfortable with it. And uh, the great thing about when you're doing voiceover work is you don't have to have anything memorized. You have to know your, you have to know your material. You have to come in with ideas um, and just be ready to play. Uh, that's just pretty much the most important thing. Be ready to play. And you know, Bram's motivation to kind of help the the main vampire is to get a mortal life. But would you classify him as a villain for doing that? For wanting to get a mortal life? This, uh, I don't think there's anything villainous about wanting a mortal life. Uh, don't we all kind of want a mortal life? Isn't that what, uh, you know, um, isn't that what Botox is about? <laughs> um, but what about his actions? <laughs> okay. Oh, we're having a serious interview, are we? Okay. Um, what about his actions? Well, okay. Yeah. He, he went about the wrong actions, but, uh, you know, every, every bad guy, the, the secret in, in acting or theater or film or directing or whatever, you never treat bad people as merely being bad people. Bad people always think they're doing good. They always think they're saving the world in some way or form. It just may, may not be the way we, we view saving the world to be. What was your favorite thing about his character? That he sang and he was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had the chance, would you take part of a uh, vampire performance troupe? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Could it be, uh, uh, you know, okay, yeah, I, I, I could do I could, a performance troupe. What are we talking about? Are we talking about sort of a four-part quartet here are they singing only are these instruments what are we talking here um is it a klezmer band well i don't know probably with a little bit of a little bit of acting a little bit of singing okay okay yeah yeah i can do that why are you thinking of putting together a show here is, is this a job offer uh yeah maybe okay great cool cool awesome. totally put together a vampire performance troupe well you'll have to talk to my agent so you know <laughs> yeah. yeah only perform at night <laughs> Okay, perfect. Great. <laughs> um, and so Bram gets sent off to prison at the end of the movie, but what do you think he might do after he got out? Well, I think he probably went and got a university education. Likely, I think, maybe went for his MBA, and uh, now he's looking to be a business manager for uh, villainous criminal uh, quartet bands on the road. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I think that's kind of his trajectory. Mm -hmm. And what was it like to be able to portray uh, a villain-like character in a Scooby-Doo movie? It, it's fun. It's it, it, If you want to talk about Bucket List, it's pretty cool. Um, if 
it weren't for those mangy kids. I don't think I got to say that line, but I think I felt that line every time I was acting it. Uh, it was great. It, it, like I said, I've got nephews, I've got nieces. They love Scooby-Doo. So the fact that I've been in a Scooby-Doo movie to them is just kind of awesome. So, check. I've got that one <laughs> checked off. I'm very happy. <laughs> and were they able to recognize your voice or did you have to tell them that that was you? I believe I had to tell them who I was, which just shows you what a wonderful thespian I am, which is <laughs> not necessarily true. So, mm -hmm. Were there any challenges in portraying that character or, you know, taking part in the movie? No challenges at all. It was a great day. We were just, we, we recording in air conditioned, uh, uh, lovely low light ambiance in a studio, windowless studio for an entire day with a bunch of funny people. Great thing about working in um, voiceover is that the actors that, uh, that I get to work with consistently are just, there's, there's very little attitude um, in the VO world. Uh, they don't put up with, no, no one really has patience for egos or for uh, difficult characters, let's say. And so, you know, it, I always feel safe walking into a recording room because uh, I know that I'm going to have a fun time with the actors. They're all going to be just great people having a fun time, clocking in, clocking out. It's a job, but super talented. I mean, the one thing that was clear to me is that some of the some of the actors I was working with are just funny. In between takes, they just line after line. These guys were just coming up with things. So to me, it was just a day of entertainment. And do you have uh, a favorite person that you worked with on that movie? Well, I mean, uh, interesting is it would be Matt Lillard, I guess. Uh, he's my favorite person. Matt Lillard and I actually, we've known each other for a long time. He, he, uh, he was a, an actor in a theater company that I ran for years in LA, uh, from 95 to 2000. I directed him in a play. And then he also was, uh, dating my, my sister for uh, a number of, for quite a while actually. And so I would consider him and he, we are still very good friends. I love him a lot. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would say he's my favorite person. Matt Lillard is awesome. What was it like to work with him so many years later? Well, it was uh, just, here we are again. All right. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I mean, we, we see each other in events every once in a while, and uh, we always have a really good time catching up. We've, um, we had a, yeah, we, we had some good, good memories in the theater together, doing some, some good projects together. And, and when we were in the trenches, both of us, um, just doing the work before any of us had done anything that put us on the map. So, yeah. Do you have a favorite part of taking part in Music of the Vampire? Uh, well, Bram. Bram is just fun because he was singing. He was doing all the things. So yeah, he would definitely be my favorite. Anywhere where I can sing and be croony. I like to croon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you've got quite a bit of like theater and musical experience. Um, but what, what are the differences between actually being on a stage and, you know, voice acting that you are a performer? Uh, well, number one, memorization. You don't really depend on memorization when you're doing VO because obvious, for obvious reasons. Um, there is a performance difference that you find. Uh, I think we, many of us know this, that, you know, if you're in a theater, you tend to 
be acting so that the person in the last row can see. And that might mean that you have to raise your eyebrow just a little higher so that the person in the back row can see that, uh, that eyebrow raise. Now, if you do the same thing and you're on camera, it's going to look overblown. And that's why there was a history of theater actors in the past not sort of understanding how to to gauge that. And so they often seemed very sort of over the top and grandiose on, on camera. And I think the same applies for voice. Uh, you, there's a certain intimacy that you've got to understand playing with the mic and the, you're you're, you're, you're hugging it it's as if the people are sort of right there in the room with you, so you don't need to worry about projecting or over overacting or anything like that. Unless, of course, theatrically or stylistically, the piece asks for you to be over the top. So. And did you record uh, the songs at the same time as you were recording the dialogue for the movie? Yes. Yes, we did. It, all, it was one day of work, I believe. One to two, maybe? Two days of work, I think I can remember. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And can you just describe a little bit more about maybe what that day looked like? Uh, well, generally they start around 9 to 10 in the morning. And you get in, you have some coffee, you meet everyone, you do lots of handshaking. And if you've worked with anyone, you're catching up with each other. Um, then you meet with the director. If you've not worked with the director before, then you sort of get to know them a little bit. Meet the rest of your cast members. And then you move on into uh, the sound recording room. And in this case, sometimes you'll have the hub you separated into different rooms. But what was nice about this is they had us all in the same room so that we could work with each other. So we sat in a circle. And you've got mics for each individual actor are in front of us with our own music stands and our own seat. Um, and you're in a soundproofed room and you've got the director and you've got the, the tech crew and, and usually the writers will be behind the glass on the other, in the other room. And then you get started. You do a kind of a quick read through of things. The director will give notes as to sort of like, okay, we're thinking of going in this direction. And then you set down to starting to move through the script from the top. And you uh, just start working with the other actors, getting to know each other's vibe. The director will stop you down. Uh, often what you'll do is you'll give many options uh, for a line, just so the director has something to work with in the editing room. Um, and that's just a, a skill that's good to have uh, as, as a voice, voice actor, is being able to give multiple, multiple takes. Um, and then we did the music intermittently through it, depending on who was rehearsed for that music, because they would be rehearsing in a different room, uh, with the music director, uh, and then come back on in and with, there were things that we all had to sing together. We'd make sure we get that done. If it was chorus work. And if we're doing solo stuff, then we go out and just record those solo, um, separately in a different room. So that's the day you'll have to do a lunch and often sit around chat with your your cast and get caught up and then move back into the rest of the day you're usually done by five it's very sort of a nine to five uh, gig vo which is i think keeps everyone sane and pleasant to each other and what is it like to be able to play off each other when you're all working in the same room it's it's everything it's everything i, I we're humans we're wired to work off of minute almost imperceptible uh, nuances of expression, the voice, of cadence, um, of just the, how we speak and how we mirror one another in scenes. We don't even, we don't, we're often not even aware of all of the minute kinds of ways we mirror people as we're speaking to them. Um, it's, and mirroring is a way of 
of making a person feel like they're being listened to and that they're connected in the conversation. So if you're not doing that with another actor, there's something that's missing. And it's possible. It's absolutely possible to have two actors completely record only their lines uh, and then have that spliced together. It's possible, but I would tell you, I'd be willing to bet that if you put them side to side and you asked uh, an audience, which did you prefer, that they'd often go with the one where the actors were able to be in the room together looking at each other. Um, that's where the play happens, and that's where sort of, I'm going to call it magic, but it's not magic. It's it's a whole bunch of millions of years of being able to read one another as apes, humans, uh, so that we can communicate in really nuanced ways, and that comes across. It's just works. Uh, often when you look at CGI movies, if you talk to actors who had to do CGI movies, they'll often talk about how frustrating it was to do the scenes because there was just no one to act with. They were often acting with, you know, a ball that was to the left of the camera and they had to stare at that and have a scene with it, you know, and that just, it's hard. It's just very hard. So sitting in a room together is everything. And what was it like to record a duet song with uh, Daphne slash Grey Delisle Griffin? <laughs> it was great. It was lovely. It was a super talent. And uh, quickly we're able to sort of put it all together and really had a fun time together. Do you have a favorite scene in the movie at all? Uh, uh, no, actually. It's, it's been a long time since I watched it, so that's a difficult question to answer. Um, sorry, I'm going to have to plead the fifth. <laughs> no problem. And out of the various songs that you performed for the movie, was there one uh, that was your favorite or that was the most fun to record? I think the one that I can remember the most out of it is... I don't even know what song that is, but I remember it. So, that's it. I just don't know the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, like Vampire's Dance or something yeah, that way. Vampire's one. Dance. That would be it. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. <laughs> And what was it like to be able to work on a cartoon that you had grown up watching? It's trippy, I guess would be the word for it. Um, and uh, so it's good fun. Yeah, it's, it's just a nice thing to be able to say, oh my goodness, I did that. And at a time when I was watching it, I didn't know I was ever going to be acting in anything. And now here I am acting in a, in a Scooby-Doo movie. So yeah, it's definitely bucket list stuff. Why do you think that Scooby-Doo, as a cartoon about a mystery-solving dog, has held up for over 50 years now? Um, I think because it has a sense of humor about itself. And that has always been clear, uh, that there's a certain kind of campy quirkiness to it. Um, uh, a nod to being so... So you know, almost like being bad in a way, which makes it so good. And then that's becoming its own, its own aesthetic. Um, I think that's the thing that's been lasting about Scooby-Doo. And then of course, all the cultural stuff that surrounds it. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. People, people who get the munchies a lot love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so. And have you ever had people uh, coming up to you? recognizing you or talking to you about your work on Scooby? No way. It's voiceover acting. No one knows it was you. <laughs> Except for the super hardcore fans, I guess. Exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> but I can tell you, I've never had one person ever come up to me and say, hey, loved you in that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and what have you been up to lately? What up to lately? I'm uh, obviously in COVID lockdown like many of us, and uh, or I would say most of us. And uh, right now I am in, I work in theater and film and uh, theater is not coming back anytime soon. It'll probably be the last thing that comes back uh, before anything else, uh, after everything else. Um, so at this point I was in the midst of producing a musical and that has now been put on hold that we were going to be doing Reefer Madness. Uh, we're going to be doing a redux of it for Off-Broadway or in Los Angeles, Los Angeles or New York. So that's been put on hold, which is fine. And uh, so that's uh, kind of, kind of what it is. I'm still acting, still doing the thing. <laughs> Have you been doing anything particular to keep busy during the lockdown? At this point, it's been writing. I'm uh, currently writing a project right now. So that has been on the, how I'm feeling, filling my time right now. Okay. Yeah. And has that uh, always been something you wanted to do or? It's always been something I have, it's not something I've necessarily wanted. Well, I've always wanted to do it. I just haven't needed to do it at any point because I've always been working with scripts that that uh, were already sort of kind of done. Uh, now I've got something in my head and I would like to see that happening. And so I've been busy at work on that one. Okay. Yeah. Is there a timeline when people might be able to see that? Or? Oh God, no. no idea. No idea. It's uh, we're just in the, I'm in the research uh, side of things and just about move, moving, like compiling everything together. It's a, it's a sci-fi piece. So it's uh, going to be a while. Let's just put it that way. Sci-fi is never an easy thing to get off the ground. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think that covers all the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about at all? Scooby Wise or anything else? No, I think that's about it. Okay. I think we've covered it all. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and just before we end, uh, are there any recent projects that you've done lately that you want to promote or social media channels where people can follow what you're up to? Yeah, I mean, well, if you follow what I'm up to, I mean, just follow my raging against the machine. Um, it's uh, US Canuck. You can find me on Instagram, uh, US C A N U K. Why is it that? It's because those are my three passports United States, Canada, and the UK. So, US Canuck for Instagram and for Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. But, you know, you're, on, on Instagram, you'll get a lot of my daughter and then a lot of my political rantings. And, you know, Twitter is just political rantings. So, and then every once in a while, I'll talk about the things I'm doing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and is your daughter old enough to watch Scooby-Doo yet? Will she watch your work in Music of the Vampire? Not yet. She's only 13 months. So, yeah. Uh, but, but soon. Soon. At least 18 months before Scooby-Doo comes in. Oh, there's a rule? Is there a, a Scooby fan uh, rule thing? Uh, yeah, that I just made up. Okay, cool. Well, great. Look forward to seeing your constitution. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. I think that covers everything. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Christian Campbell for taking the time out to be on the show. For more groovy content, be sure to check out Unmasked SD on Twitter at Unmasked SD Podcast on Instagram, 
or at unmaskedsdpodcast.com. I also created a Facebook page for the podcast, which you should be able to find under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo podcast. I will do my best at keeping that one up to date as well, but I must admit it will likely not be my strong suit. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Christian, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at USCanuck, which again is U-S-C-A-N-U-K. Thanks for listening and keep an ear out for the next episode. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!